Glab here, my guest this week in the studio, Hillary Fleck, the Collections Manager at the Monroe County History Center. Hillary, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Hillary got some good news not long ago. You got a little bit of money. I do. From somewhere <laughs> to do a really special project. Yeah. What's going on? I was awarded the May Wright Sewell Fellowship from Indiana Humanities um, to research local Monroe County women who are involved in the suffrage movement. And then also after that, uh, Monroe County women involved in politics. Well, uh, a lot of that has to do with what's coming up uh, next year. The year 2020 will be the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Now, if you're 100 years old, you were alive when women could not vote in this country. That's true. Um, it varied depending on what state you were in yeah. and all of that. Um, a lot of the states that were out west had actual full suffrage for women before a lot of the states in the east and the south. And um, Indiana in 1917 had passed um partial suffrage for women. So they were allowed to vote in local municipal elections and then also in federal elections so they could vote for the president, but they could not vote for state representatives and, and things like that. Yeah. So um, we're going to give you a little. We're not going to give you the not whole gonna thing. Not going to give Don't you everything. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So a lot of this has a little bit to do with uh, a big exhibit mm -hmm. next year. January 13th through December 31st at the Monroe County History Center. It's titled uh, Votes for Women, uh -huh. the Women's Suffrage Movement in Monroe County. And it's going to be highlighting uh, just that, the, the women who were involved and um, the suffrage activities that uh, happened in Monroe County and at the state of Indiana level as well. So um, it's just a, an exhibit to, to commemorate the, the centennial. Monroe County History Center Director Susan Dyer uh, has been quoted as saying, your work, this research that you're going to do, will be a cornerstone of this exhibit. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it's really great. Um, I, I'm very excited, and I, I'm uncovering new information all of the time. I'm doing a lot of newspaper research right now, and that's going to be changing in the next couple of weeks to doing archive uh, research at the Lilly Library uh -huh. and um, in the state archives and things like that. So it, it's very multifaceted, and I think um, over the next, I guess what is it, 15 months now mm -hmm. that I will, I'll, I'll just keep learning more information about Monroe County women. So it's really wonderful. And passing it along. Absolutely. To the rest of us. Absolutely. Whoever get there. As part of this grant, you were given the charge uh, to sort of focus a little bit on women of color. Yes. And working class women. Mm -hmm. Has that been an easy task? No, it hasn't. Um, this is not surprising. I, I did expect for it to be a little bit harder just because um, attitudes at that time, you know, women of color, um, African Americans in general, were not reported on. Their, their community activities were 
were just not reported in the local newspaper as often mm. as that of the white community. And so it is more difficult to find names of individuals who, or even clubs, sometimes there were religious or social clubs that would um, be involved towards community uh, improvement or suffrage activities. Um, so it is a little bit harder for me to find that information. So I'm always willing to listen if anybody has an idea um, about where I can look, but I am actively looking looking for women of color and uh, working class women to to highlight their contributions because it's not just rich white women who wanted suffrage it's it's all of them so um, every woman wanted to benefit their community in some form or fashion now I had heard and I had read that a lot of the impetus behind women's suffrage came from the groups of people who eventually became prohibitionists. Uh, yes, I How think true that, is that. Well, yeah. I think that from my research, I'm finding that a lot of attitudes towards suffrage came from more the abolitionist movement, which is ah. a little bit earlier than the yeah. prohibition movement. So the abolitionist movement really worked towards um, the end of slavery in the United States and the fact, the idea that a person could be property and um, that every individual was was granted certain rights. And, um, and once slavery was ended, and then I think after the 15th Amendment was passed, which allowed for black male suffrage, yeah. that really started the female suffrage movement in earnest because women then started to think, well, they, I mean, it is a very racist notion, but, yes. but they're thinking, well, black men can vote. They have a voice in their government, but I, a woman, a, you know, a white woman, yeah. I do not have that right. And so it was, it, it came from a very racist notion, yeah. but it was to, I think the best of intentions of wanting to have a voice in your government and um, better the community. You still continue to do your regular day-to-day -day job. You're the collections manager, and I've got a whole list of your duties here, and it just goes on, and I can't, I don't know how you do it. You've <laughs> got to continue to do all that, and then you're doing this research. So what, yes. are you doing this in a spare time type of thing, or is this part of your day-to-day -day activity now? How does mm -hmm. it work? Um, I'm conducting the research uh, as part of my um my professional job. I yeah. I have a small child, so I have very limited after work. Oh my time. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot uh, on your plate. Yeah. Um, but yes, the, the fellowship has allowed me to carve out some time from my um, job to focus on this. Um, and so I'm kind of doing this in conjunction with that and with my daily, my, my list of duties that you have in front of you. So... Well, let, let, let's go over some of the things that you do. Uh, donation processing, uh, what does mm -hmm. that mean? That really means that uh, somebody has walked through the door with something. Uh, so let's say it's a, a book. Okay. Um, and they think that the History Center wants this book. And so I have a form that I have them fill out. Um, it's a temporary custody, and um, it lets us do that, take temporary custody of their item. And then we have a committee that meets once a month um, to decide, do we want this book? Do we need this book? Um, do we not have this book? Huh. What what benefit will this book do for us? And then we either say, yes, we want it, or no, we don't. Give it back then. Yes. 
All right, why would you want it? We could want it for many different reasons. We could want it for um, the significance to Monroe County history. So um, it could be, oh, it could be a, a book from a local author. Um, it could be a book about Monroe County history. Um, we just took in a, a copy of Jeremy Brochier's um, m Covered Bridges in Monroe County. So, uh -huh. you know, it's specific to Monroe County. It's It helps us tell a story of um, Monroe County history. And then sometimes if it's just a, an, I would say a, a key part of someone's life. If say I grew up in this, I grew up in Monroe County and this copy of Little Women was my favorite book and I read it 17,000 times, then that would be a wonderful connection to have of um, this person's life in Monroe County and how little women affected them. You know, there's there's a many different reasons we would take something into the collection. Now, interestingly enough, I was speaking with a uh, Monroe County History Center volunteer just this very morning, and she is one of the people who helps you put all these things in a database and yes. so forth. You have a number of people who do that. Yes, right? I do. <laughs> okay. Now, this woman said that she had cataloged a kerchief. Uh -huh. The kerchief was a uh, souvenir from one of the Chicago World's Fairs. Now, that's interesting. Why would that be of interest to the Monroe County History mm -hmm. Center? So that was likely accepted um, because a lot of those sorts of items from the World's, World's Fairs um, were souvenir items. Yeah. And so that's likely that... A, a person from, in this particular instance, it's likely that a person from Monroe County went to the Chicago World's Fair and purchased this um, handkerchief and came back. And so they maybe wore it around town, you know, just had it as part of their collection. So that's why we would have accepted it as a, just a, a record of something to have that would say, like, a local Monroe County resident went to the World's Fair. Um, we could use it to talk about the World's Fairs in general over the years. We could talk about it um, with souvenirs through the years. You yeah. know, there's a lot of different exhibits that we could use something like that, um, but it's, it's, it's wonderful that it has that Monroe County tie. It tells us a little bit of something, I would think, about what did people do in their spare time in Monroe County, uh, why a lot of people just went up to a World's Fair in Chicago. That was that was a thing to do that yeah. in this neck of the woods. Yeah, and it's also interesting to, we could talk about how would someone from Monroe County get to Chicago in 1893 or 1937. Wow, um, So yeah. you could talk about, like, you know, in 1893, there's were no cars right. so you would have to take the train and then where would you stay there um you know how those those sorts of things you could always educate people to say like yeah it, nowadays it only takes a couple of hours to get to chicago but back then it didn't it took oh, a lot wow. longer <laughs> now another part of your job is something called accessioning mm -hmm. what yeah. in the heck is that um, that's just a fancy term, really, for accepting something into the donation, into the into the collection. Oh, I so see. So yeah, so yeah, so you're so we process the donation first, and that's just discussing the item, 
would we want it? Do we have a committee that talks about and weighs the different needs of the collection and that sort of thing? And what what purpose would this item serve? And then if we do accept it, we we do what what's officially called accessioning, which is adding its information into our database and um, labeling the artifact with a specific number so that we can find it um, and just having it and uh, putting it away in our storage. So, yeah. so you're consistently making making a pitch to the committee saying we need this thing or maybe we don't need that thing. Yes, yes, that is part of my job is that um, each month our committee gets together and so we talk about those donations for that month and, and I talk about every single donation and say like, yes, we need this because or no, we don't need this because. So you're saying you meet every month. That means you're getting stuff all the time. Yes, Pe- year round. Do people just walk in unexpectedly? Hey, look, I got a box of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have people who, who do just walk walk in um, with boxes of stuff and that's wonderful Uh, and then I also have people who will email me or call me um, and say like those are typically people who may not live locally and so um, they might have to make arrangements to bring things that sort of thing but um, yeah we we do it's constantly every every month we have something to talk about do people ever contact you and say something on the order of hey I've got this thing what will you give me for it Yes. They yeah. do. Yeah. I'm assuming you don't give anything for it. No, it's our we really don't have a budget to purchase items, right. which is which is unfortunate. Um is but that, I is always that, uh, legit to do that for, from a museum's point of view to actually buy stuff from people? Yeah, absolutely. Ah. And some at larger museums they have um set budgets for those sorts of things. Um and but we we're quite a a smaller organization and we don't have the kind of budget for that so I do have to say like thank you we are interested but we can't pay for it or right. you know or we're just not interested sometimes we're sometimes we're honestly just not interested now another thing that you do is rehousing mm-hmm. what's that rehousing is basically taking an, an artifact that it, it might be just sitting on a shelf right now, and that might not be what's best for it. So um, for a scenario, if we have like a china, um, a china cake platter or something like that, and it's just sitting on a shelf, that's not the best storage for it because if we were to have an earthquake, like maybe it could rattle and could fall off the shelf and it could oh. shatter. So the best storage... Uh, well, I could say better storage would be to put it in a drawer so that it couldn't, you know, walk itself off a shelf and die. Um, or the best form of storage would be to make a box for it or to purchase a box for it. So that's what I do is I a lot of times I'm taking artifacts from storage and I I give them new and better homes so that they can be around for another hundred years or so. But Now, do you have any idea how many things the History Center has. Yes, I do. We have over 71,000 individual items. Things? Things, yes. Wow. Now, how many of those 71,000 things can I go see if I go over to the History Center after this interview? Um, I would say less than 5%. Wow. Because that's all that's 
on display right now. Um, The majority of the collection is in storage. Um, We do not have the display space uh, to put everything out at the same time. Well, that's like that would be like, yeah, that would be we would need like six airplane hangers to do something like that. Yeah. Um, So we rotate the items that are Uh out on display. We have temporary exhibits that go up and down and on various different um, topics throughout the year. So that's how we cycle through the items that are in our collections. Now, are you the person who says, you know, it's time we put this thing out? (laughs) No, unfortunately, we I am not. Um, but we do have, uh, but fortunately for us, we do have a person that does that. And so his name is AJ Giannopoulos, and he's our exhibits manager. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, he, so yeah. you, as the collection manager, you're concerned with everything in the house, both front of the house and back of the house. Yes. But the exhibits manager says the public's going to see this. Yes. So uh-huh. I, I work very closely with him and um, help him with his ideas for exhibits. Of um, He'll come to me. We have an upcoming, in January, we have a, a basketball exhibit that's going to open up. And uh-huh. um, I think it's called Hoosier Hysteria. Um, wow. And so it's going to be focusing on the, the sports, the basketball heritage at the um, high school and I think college level. Yeah. And so uh, I work with him to go through collections and be like, okay, what do we have? We have a lot of photographs of old basketball teams. We have yeah. a few uniforms. We don't have any trophies. So those are sorts of things that I share with him. And so he's like, okay, well, so I would need to contact maybe some local high schools to ask if we could loan their trophies or that sort of thing. So you actually can do outreach. Yes, absolutely. We need some of these things. Can you help us out? Yeah, absolutely. We do that all the time, um, depending on what our exhibit is coming up and uh, what we need, what we have in the collection, what we don't have. Um, So yeah, it's, we do a lot of that. You wrote in the IU Press uh, blog in 2018, I'm going to read you a quote from you. How do you sum up 200 years of experiences, 200 years of birthdays, cookouts, picnics, parades, move-in days, work days, wedding days, and holidays? You're actually recording and remembering and archiving life. Yeah, absolutely. Every day. Every day history is being made. And I think that one of the things that we kind of struggle with as um, museums is relevancy and we're really working hard to continue to stay relevant um, because we do look backwards a lot Mm -hmm. but I think that looking backwards can help us as a community look forward and so we're I think that the History Center we have the unique opportunity to to help the community find figure out where they've been um, and what has happened in the past that can maybe bring new ideas or shed light on um, an issue or um, an event that could help out in the future or in a, or in a current situation. We, we are the keeper of Monroe County history. Yeah, I think that everyday history is being made. So a lot of times another issue um, is that people think that, oh, because I used it five years ago, the History Center doesn't want it. It's not old. Huh. 
But that's not true. I collect things that were made yesterday. And right. because it all tells the history of Monroe County. And, and it will be old in 25 years. Absolutely. And <laughs> and I would much prefer that I got something in pristine condition yeah. rather than, you know, it live in someone's attic or basement for another 70 years and probably been eaten on by a mouse or something like that. It's It really, it doesn't matter when it was made. I think that um, if it's relevant to Monroe County history and relevant to even one individual's life in Monroe County, then I think that it can be, the argument can be made for it to be relevant to history. What if, for instance, you got your hands on a piece of sheet music, hand printed out by Hoagie Carmichael, but as you say, the mice had gotten to it. It's pretty tattered, pretty beaten up. Yeah. Do you still want it? Yeah, absolutely. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to somehow recondition it perhaps or what would happen yeah so we can um we can send it to a conservator a paper Uh conservator and Uh and we can kind of stitch it back together we can't necessarily put back the pieces that are lost but we can make sure that the pieces that remain are stable enough that we can look at the sheet music. We can learn from the sheet music. We can play the sheet music. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we can still learn and and see that it is a as a part of Monroe County's history. Well, I notice another part of your job is to monitor the environmental conditions, meaning that uh, too much light, heat, cold, what have you, uh, humidity, mm-hmm. I can wreck stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have to be constantly vigilant. Yes, absolutely. My That's a key component of my job is to making sure that the, the environment that all of our artifacts are in are stable and um the artifacts are happy is what I like to say. So it's kind of like I we have to keep the temperature, humidity, the light. Um, we have to keep them low, uh, as low as we possibly can. So the humidity that, too, huh? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh-huh. The humidity, we like to, I like to keep it around 50% humidity. That's and dry. Then it is, it yeah. does feel dry, yeah. If that was in your home, you'd feel it in your nose. Yeah, it yeah. is dry, but it's not as dry as it is outside in Indiana winter. Huh. So there's that. But um, the temperature needs to stay around about 65 degrees Fahrenheit which is a little bit warm for some things, but oh. it tends to be the happy medium for most items. And if it's the temperature is stable, the humidity is stable, the light is either low or off, mm-hmm. then that's really what's best for the items. And it's a number of things, uh, like if you were to put um, a red jacket near a window for a long period of time, the, the light would fade the red color. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just making sure that everything um, in our collection can stay as pristine as possible for as long as possible. What would happen if in the middle of August, it's 99 degrees, people are sweltering, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's an outage? What happens to the museum? Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we honestly, um, it's rough because we work on, on, we don't have a backup generator. Uh-huh. So, so really we would just try to work with the city as much as possible to get the, our electricity back on, Hurry up. um, yeah, as quickly <laughs> as possible. But in that case, it would, it would be a lot of, gosh, more like circulating fans um, to make yeah. sure that the air is moving as much as possible and that nothing is is 
nothing's malfunctioning to the point where it's leaking water, um, anything like that, because uh, water can be obviously very detrimental and, and increase yeah. the humidity of a room. So yeah, we try to mitigate that as much as possible. We've never had, we have had power outages, but it's never been for more than like an hour at a time because we're downtown. Right. Those things get fixed pretty quickly, but. The Monroe County History Center is housed in what used to be the Monroe County Public Library. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Monroe County Public Library at the time over there on Washington Street was a Carnegie Library. (laughs) Yes, yes it was. What are the Carnegie Libraries? So Carnegie Libraries are um, libraries that were funded through the Andrew Carnegie Foundation. Uh Um, And so the local population applied to the foundation to receive money to build a public library. Indiana has the the most number of Carnegie libraries in the country, so that's really wonderful. You know, you go you go into almost any county seat yeah. in southern Indiana and you'll find an old Carnegie library and a lot of them have either been moved out of like next door or expanded mm-hmm. because libraries clearly have become much bigger these days. Yes. It's not just books. Yes, absolutely. So this was a Carnegie library. And for the library, um, that was really what was very popular about the libraries is that they were not segregated, whereas at the time um, there was still schools were segregated. Um, and so the libraries were not, that was part of the the foundation rules is that they not the library was a place that everyone could go to to learn and then that reigns true for today where the history center so anybody can come in and and enjoy the museum you pay an admission yes it's two dollars to go upstairs oh my golly (laughs) (laughs) hey what are some of your uh, favorite things either on display or in the back room. Oh man, so in storage, I would say that my favorite things are the textiles in our collection, the clothes. Um, I I really love some of the dresses are just beautiful. Some suits are really very snappy, I think. And, and some of them we have um, photographs of the people wearing the clothes with the clothes themselves. So that's really wonderful. I, there's a few pieces that I wish I could just put on and like walk out of the of storage in, but you know that's not allowed. Um, <laughs> but there is a don't do that. I know, but there is one really wonderful uh, 1970s collection, and so it's bell bottoms and all of the fun little like fun crazy prints. Sure. Um, this one woman um, locally made them herself, um, so. Uh, she made them and wore them in the 1970s, and so it's just a wonderful little time capsule of a collection of 1970s fashion. So that would be storage. On display, I think I'd have to say we have um, a couple of prosthetic legs from the early 1900s of a limestone worker who was working in a quarry. I'm wanting to say it was Matthew's quarry, but now I can't exactly remember. But he was working um, and loading freight limestone freight onto a train and the train cars like bumped each other there was some sort of accident where his legs were crushed between two line uh two train cars and so he lost his legs and so these are his prosthetic legs but we have a wonderful story from his daughter who donated the the legs of when 
when she was learning to crawl, her father would take his legs off and crawl on the floor with her <laughs> to teach her how to crawl. La, 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 la. We've run out of time, so join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the 5 p.m. daily local news for more of this conversation. Hillary Fleck is the collections manager of the Monroe County History Center. Hillary, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Oh, thank you for having me.